Let's continue to worship the Lord together with a reading of Scripture. And I want to read and for you to focus on two different passages of Scripture uh, as we begin the sermon. Uh, I think I've got them, and they'll be on the screen. And the first will come from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 10. So, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's the first passage, and now the second passage is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul's writing, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's pray together. Father, help us now, the first Sunday of 2021, with all my heart, I want my church family to live the abundant life that Christ has come to provide. And together that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have placed in our lives as your people, as your church. So God, give us grace to, to, um, to want that and then to have it in Jesus' name. And I pray that in his name, amen. Well, you can keep a spot there in John chapter 10. We'll also be looking in a few moments in Genesis 25 if you want to go on and be finding that chapter as well. But to revisit the question from the beginning, uh, Genesis 3, after the fall, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Uh, And what I want to ask of you today is the same question. Would you be able to answer it this way? Where am I right now? I am living the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to provide. Would you be able to say that this morning? Or would you be able to answer it, where am I? I am living a life worthy of the calling to which I have been called. Are you living abundantly or living half-heartedly or just existing or some other description that you would give it. Hey, here's what I love about the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he is here. He has come to give you a life that is far beyond merely existing. He has come to give you life abundant, life that is full. Uh, every Christmas, just about, I watch It's a Wonderful Life. This is one of my go-to Christmas movies. And this past Christmas, just a couple of weeks ago now, or even been that long, I watched it on Christmas Eve. The movie is a classic and it tells the story of George Bailey. He's played by Jimmy Stewart. Uh, and as a, as, as a boy, George, the character, he plans to live a life that is full of adventure and travel. His head is full of his plans to, to leave and escape his little hometown called Bedford Falls. And over and over and over, circumstances arise of such a nature that keep him from leaving his town. Instead of going to college, he's forced to take over his dad's business. And tr- instead of traveling and seeing the world... He's shackled to living in that same little town for, out, throughout his life. But in the town, as he's going through his life, he does some pretty remarkable things. When he's just a child, he prevents the pharmacist, remember the early scene, 
from accidentally poisoning a child. The, the pharmacist has just lost his son in the Spanish flu epidemic of 1919, and he's distraught, and when he puts the medicine together, it's not quite right, and George realizes it and, and prevents the pharmacist from making a terrible mistake. He also dives into the freezing water and rescues his little brother from drowning, and as the movie progresses, we see that George is a really big help to his friends and neighbors. He provides uh, them support and acts as a foil to the wealthy and you know, mean-spirited Mr. Potter who only cares about money and the bottom line, and, and George is all about helping others have a better life. But then towards the end of the movie, if you've sat through all of that, I'll never forget one time I told Priscilla when she was a little girl, we sit down to watch It's a Wonderful Life, and she said, is that the movie where he just keeps going to the bank? So, yes, that's the movie where he just keeps going to the bank. But at the end of the movie, Everything seems to catch up with him. Uncle Billy misplaced some money, and, and he's about to f- face financial ruin and arrest. And the moment of despair, George thinks about taking his life, and that's when the angel Clarence appears and has this plan. Let's show George what the world would be like if he'd never been born. And so that's the rest of the movie they walk through. And the pharmacist is now an ostracized outcast. And his brother wasn't rescued from drowning. And then his brother went on to save people in the Second World War and those people. And it just goes through. And so shows his wife, Mary. She never found true love. And, and then George is awakened to realize, I really have had a wonderful life. But what would your life look like if Jesus had never entered your life? You know, it only works, the movie, the, the script, you know, that George can go back and see the difference that he's made. Clarence's plan would not have worked if he went back and the world was pretty much the same, you know. Friends, it's not possible for Jesus to enter your life and not have a transforming impact. So if you were to think about your life as it is right now and were to say if Jesus never entered it, it'd be pretty much the same, then that's not the Jesus speaking in John 10. And we should recognize that Jesus said, a lot of people will come along in my name, but they're not the real me. Can you take inventory of your life if you answered the question, where are you, is where you are because Jesus has entered your life and transformed it? I've come that you might have life and have a little bit of adjustment. That's not what he says, right? I've come that you might have lived the life you were going to live anyway with just, you know, now go to church on Sunday. No, that's not what he says. I've come that you might have life and that you really experience the glorious forgiveness of sin and overcoming sinful strongholds. A life in which you experience the joy of knowing what you were created for, to abide in the Lord. A life of obeying God, not because of dutiful drudgery, but it's the desire of your soul. A life where you are a true friend and help to other people. When we read the New Testament, can we say that's true of Peter and Paul and John? And it's true of Mary It's true of so many others that their lives are transformed by God. So as we enter a new year, as we enter 2021, what I want to do this morning is exhort and call you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Are you living life in connection with the one who's been crucified for you? Because Christ has done everything necessary for us to have an abundant life. But here's the catch, and here's what we'll talk about. There is a barrier There is a barrier for each of us. 
And that barrier, I believe, is pictured quite well by somebody in Genesis 25. And that's why I'd ask you to turn there. If you're not experiencing the full scope of the abundant life that God has come to give you in Christ Jesus, the most likely reason for that is because what is true of this man in Genesis 25 is true of your life right now. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So when we go to Genesis 25, we're looking at something that's been written and recorded for your instruction. And just to be Just to say it one more time, the instruction we want to receive from Genesis 25 is, if you're not currently living an abundant life in Christ Jesus, this is why. The man we'll look at in Genesis 25, his name is Esau. He has a twin brother named Jacob. And even when these boys were in the womb, it was like they were kind of at odds. Uh, Their mom's Rebecca, and when she was giving birth to these twin boys... They were jostling for position. You might remember the story. Esau is born first, but his brother Jacob comes out clutching his heel. It's like uh, the picture is Jacob's trying to pull him back into the womb so that he can be born first, right? They're kind of competing because in those days, the firstborn would get a double portion of the inheritance. But immediately we can think we don't refer to the Lord as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, do we? Although Esau's the firstborn. What happened? We call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 25, let's look in verse 23, the Lord says to her, Rebekah, the mom, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, and they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So just a couple quick things about Esau. He's a skillful hunter. He's like a man of the field. He's athletic. He hunts, he fishes, he loves the outdoors. He's got this distinctive look with red hair. So it's kind of saying to us when he shows up, he was distinct. People would lock their eyes on him. This is a man who his very appearance draws attention. Jacob is described as a quiet man, and that does seem to be a reference that's in contrast to Esau. In other words, Esau was gregarious. He was talkative. He was, if he's at the dinner table, he's telling the story. The focus is on him. And then the most significant moment of Esau's life happens. I think this is important. And as it is happening, Esau does not recognize that it's the most significant moment of his life. So we've learned a little bit about Esau. Now look what he does. Again, if you are not experiencing the abundant life that God has sought to provide you in Christ Jesus, Esau will illustrate the most likely reason why. It's simply this, I'm going to give you the, you hunger for something that won't satisfy while ignoring what will, right? So that's what happens. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. 
Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. The birthright of the firstborn is what it's referring to. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It seems a little bit of a strange story, doesn't it? But it's so significant. Esau has a problem on three levels. Can I tell you the three levels? Level one is he acts on impulse. Now, in your life, you're going to have impulses all the time. You've had dozens of impulses already this morning from what time you're going to get up to what you're going to eat. And how it will work in your life is some of your impulses will be good, like you have an impulse to help somebody. That's a great impulse. But some of your impulses will be bad. And your poorest decisions will be decisions you make by impulse quickly. He's driven by his appetite. Now, the interesting thing here is he makes this decision when it says in verse 29, he was exhausted. Let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. He has an appetite for what he's been hunting. Can we see that together? He's been out, and so it's been on his mind constantly. And in those days, you know, you had to hunt, and you really had to hunt. I mean, there's not this modern technology, and so it is exhausting. He's probably walked, and it's been on his mind, and he hasn't quite reached and obtained what he was hungering for. So this is a picture to us of what was going on, but it's also a picture for your soul, friends, because you will have things on your mind that you want and you desire, and you're going after them, and it can be money, it can be fame, it can be sexual temptation. It can be, I want this achievement, and you can go after it and after it, and it won't ever satisfy, friends, because God hasn't made you to be satisfied in anything but Him. Your soul will be restless until you find rest in Him. So anything that you try to fill up your life with that's not God will ultimately prove unsatisfactory. But that's what he's got his heart set on, and Jacob says, Hey, I'll give this to you if you sell me your birthright. And just look at Esau, how flippant he is. One of the most dangerous things you can be in life is flippant about serious things. It seems to be the curse of our generation that we're not serious about really serious things. We treat them very casually. So was, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. He acts on impulse. And that's in contrast to other people we see in the Bible, like Joseph, and David, and New Testament Joseph, and Ruth, and Mary, where verbs are used to them like they thought and pondered, and Mary treasured all these things up in her. Well, not living by impulse, but living by values. So he acts on impulse. He got that from Adam. Adam acted on impulse. Cain acts on impulse. We all act at times by impulse. What's more valuable, lentil stew or your birthright? When you live by impulse, you're living and saying, I have to get what I want and I have to have it now. And he can't be reasoned with. 
Uh, we went through a little phase with Priscilla when she was little where she had night terrors. And I learned why they call them night terrors. She would get up, and we'd be in the bed sleeping, and one night, for example, she brought a suitcase, and she's just putting it in Julie's face. It's strange, isn't it? And she was like out of her mind, and we would try to reason with her. We'd turn the lights on. We'd hold her, and it was, she just kind of, she couldn't be reasoned with. That's what you're like when you live by impulse. I mean, you can't be reasoned with. I want it. I want it now. I have to have it now. And you'll ruin your life that way, friends, if you're not careful. So three levels. One, he lives by impulse. And number two, he lives by impulse because he was confused about values. I brought chunky soup with me. This is as close as I could get to lentil stew. Would you sell your soul for this? And you'd say no pretty quick, wouldn't you? But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. When you live by impulse, you get confused about values. You'd say, this isn't, this isn't worth my soul, but an appetite that leads you to live by impulse. You know, every temptation you face, you can understand it this way, every temptation you face is seeking to satisfy a legitimate God-designed and given appetite by illegitimate means. That's what sin is. It'd be like if you go to the grocery store. Can you imagine if this happens? We'll come back to our chunky soup here in a moment. It's sirloin burger, by the way, with country vegetables. It's only been sitting in my cabinet for eight years now. But now, Suppose you go to the grocery store and you find that the price of milk is now the price of a car. And then you go to the car lot and you find the price of a car is now the price of milk. Like somebody came along and switched the values. You'd say, well, that, that'd be crazy. Number one, I'd never pay that much for milk. And number two, but at the same hand, you say, man, I can't believe I'd be able to get a car for that. Well, that's what sin has done in the world. It switched the values. And things that are precious and valuable, like his word, like your soul, the value of your word, of how you can be trustworthy, the value of your mind, the price tags have been switched with fleeting momentary pleasures that you will leverage your life to obtain because what sin has done is it's switched up the values. What's more valuable, water or diamonds? But what do you pay for each? I think we should, we should do this from now on. When somebody proposes, give them a bottle of water. Wouldn't that be better? I mean, that's what you actually mean. Now, the only reason, the only reason you don't, uh, what could happen is you'd give up your diamonds to get water if there was a water scarcity. You would, that, that would happen. That, that's what will be revealed on Judgment Day is we've misconstrued values. Now, why is this happening to Esau? Why is he living by impulse and confused about values? Well, the New Testament gives us this explanation. Here's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 16. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. The root of Esau's problem, according to the Scripture, is he was unholy. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means something like this. He strived in hunting. He strived in fishing. He strived in being a lot of things, but he did not strive for holiness. 
He had appetite for food. He had appetite for sexual immorality. He had appetite for conversation. He had appetites for all sorts of things, but he had no appetite for God. And the result of this is that he's godless. That's the three levels. The deepest is he's godless, so therefore he's confused about values, so now he's living by impulse. And you do that, you won't have life. You won't have abundant life. You've traded in your birthright. We might understand it as New Testament followers of Jesus. You you could trade in your new birthright of abundant life in Christ for the equivalent of stew. Esau has amazing privileges. Born in the family of Abraham, God had promised to bless this family. But Esau was brought up to believe in God, but Esau never allowed a place for God in his life. And friends, this still happens. It still happens. So what is the command there in Hebrews 12? See, the example is Esau, and it's kind of, it is kind of saying, don't be like Esau. But what's the command? It's at the very beginning of the verse. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So can we get a balance here? You, is it striving or is it grace? Well, it's both. It's the grace of God in your life that you would strive for holiness. Does that make sense? Apart from the intervening grace of God, you'll only ever strive for physical things. But there is grace to now strive for holiness. How do you strive for holiness? Well, for that, let's go back to John chapter 10. I want to give you three quick but clear exhortations from John chapter 10 and what Jesus says here about abundant life. Let's just read it again uh, quickly. So John 10 verse 7, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So so number one exhortation would be this. Identify the appetite in your life that threatens to overcome the desire for holiness. Uh, Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, here's a way that you can understand it. When was it that Esau sold his birthright? What was said of him? When he was exhausted. So this exhortation, identify the appetite in your life that threatens to overcome your desire for holiness. Ask it this way. When you are exhausted, where do you turn for rest? When you are exhausted, where do you seek to be replenished? And if you can think carefully through that, 
it's likely that you'll understand what is the barrier in your life from the greater gift of abundant life. Does that make sense? So sometimes when you're exhausted, you'll be tempted to just, let me just go check the bank account and see what's in there. I can rest. Or maybe for you, it's food. Maybe when you're just rattled and exhausted, it's Amazon ordering. Let me just go on there. Man, it'll show up in two days. Prime, boom, here. Or maybe it's online pornography. Or maybe when you're exhausted, it's just binge-watching TV. You can ruin your life by seeking to fulfill legitimate God-given desires in ungodly ways. Oh, if God could give us grace to see what these things rob us of. The lie is as old as the serpent in Genesis 3. God's holding out on you. He's not. He's actually trying to offer you abundant life. Look at the verse again. Desires. uh, Another word that could be used is appetites. Your flesh does have appetites, right? Your flesh has appetites for food, for uh, all, all sorts of things related to the body. But the spirit also has desires. And these are against one another. They're opposed to each other. So one way that we can see that ruin was brought to Esau's life is he was always trying to feed the desires of the flesh, but he had no appetite for the things of the Spirit. Now, what I want to say to you is, it's not possible, it's not possible for you to be born again and have the Holy Spirit living in you and not have desires of the Spirit. When you're born, you're born spiritually dead. You have no spiritual appetite. I mean, a spiritually dead person has no more interest in hearing the things of the Lord than anything. But if you've been born again, if you've come to see Christ for who he is, now the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, and this Holy Spirit will begin to lead you to have desires for really valuable things. So that brings me to the second exhortation. Plead with God to increase your appetite for holiness and for his word. Plead with him. If you have no appetite for holiness or your, holy, uh, your appetite for the things of God is, has kind of waned or diminished recently, plead with God. I, I sincerely believe that when we plead with God for things that he wants to give, he will provide. This is where your values are shaped. This is how you can walk in the room and somebody would offer you chunky soup for your soul and you'd say, have you lost your mind? Absolutely not. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's how he does it. By constantly offering you bad trades. You won't die. Eat the fruit. Genesis 3, so on and so forth. God gives you his values. What in your life right now is sacred? There's nothing sacred for Esau. There is so much that is sacred to God that is not held sacred in the world around us. His name is not held sacred. Life is not held sacred. There should be some things that are just because you have values that God has given you, like your word. People should be able to trust what you say. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Marriage 
sexual union, these things are not held sacred in the world around us, but they are sacred to God. Esau was brought up around the things of God, but he had no heart for God. So plead with God that 2021 would be a a year that your appetite for holiness in his word is cultivated. You know, it's a principle, uh, diet cultivates appetite over time. That's a physical principle, but it's also a spiritual principle. Diet cultivates appetite over time. For most of my life, what I thirsted for was Coca-Cola. Just wanted Coca-Cola. And then I made a resolution that I'm going to drink water. And now when I get thirsty, because diet cultivates appetite over time, I I thirst for water. And the same thing is true spiritually. If you are constantly giving your mind over to ungodly things, that's what your appetite will be. But if you give your mind over to holy things, so will your appetite be. Last exhortation, the third one is, we've all eaten the stew, and that's why Jesus came. This is not a do better, try harder sermon. We are Esau. We all have appetites that have overtaken our desire for godliness. We've all forfeited our birthright. The picture is when Esau is born, Jacob's clutching him by the heel, trying to pull him back in. Well, we need a better brother than that, don't we? We need a brother who's not trying to take from us. We need a brother who's trying to restore something to us, and that's who Jesus is. And what he does is he flips the picture on its head. So when he comes up out of the grave where Jacob was clutching, trying to hold him back, Jesus is turning back and saying, you come on with me. We're coming up out of here. I'm giving you my birthright. I'm the sinless one. I'm the righteous one. I'm the one who never traded in uh, birthright for stew. But I'm allowing you, as the better older brother, to participate in it with me. I'm pulling you with me up out of the grave. I have come that you may have life. Friends, if we could get our act together on our own, Jesus would not have needed to come. My aim for 2021 is, by God's grace, to strive for holiness. Because did you hear the scripture? Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You might see the bottom of that stew bowl, and you might have taken that stew in. But let me ask you this. You think Esau ever got hungry again? Do you think that stew satisfied him to the end of his life? Absolutely not. See, that's the thief. That's the robber. That's what Jesus is saying. You've been lied to and robbed to from the beginning. I am living water. I am bread of life. So where are you? Where are you? If Adam had had the Grace to understand, here's what he would have said. I am lost. I got no shot at fixing what I've just done. I've taken the best relationship I have with Eve, and I've distorted it. I'm blaming her for everything that's wrong in my life. 
I'm trying to shove responsibility for what I've done on somebody else. God, I'm disconnected from you. I'm naked, and I'm trying to cover up my own shame, and it is not working. I now realize I've got appetites, and no matter what I do, they'll never satisfy. That's how he would have honestly answered the question. And if God had been asked the same question, here's what he would have said. I'm here to restore everything that you've lost. You've been lied to. You've participated in the lie. You've sought the fruit. You tried to take my place. And this is what he says, by the way. I'm sending somebody. From the seed of the woman, he's going to crush the serpent's heel, and he's going to restore what you've just lost. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the door. I'm the door. Listen to me. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, in conclusion, when I think about the Lord and ask that same question, where are you? You can look at the manger. That's what we just celebrated in Christmas. There he is. He's come in humility. You can look at the cross. There he is suffering not for his sin, but for mine. And then you can look in the grave, and there he is not. Amen? And he come up out of the grave saying, I'm bringing you with me. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray together. And I'd love for you to take a moment, having listened to the Word of God, to now respond to the Word of God. What is it? What is your lentil stew, if I can ask it that way? Something you really do have an appetite for, And there are even moments in your life you really believe, if I could get this, oh, then I'd be happy. Would you plead with the Lord that he would increase your appetite for holiness and righteousness? And while you do that, would you praise the Lord for the provision he's made for you in Jesus? We've all eaten the stew, but if I can say it this way, not one of us needs to keep doing that from this moment forward. We have a time of invitation. I really encourage you to use these moments to resolve some things. The first Sunday of 2021 is a great time to do that unto the Lord. Father, I thank you for the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, I really thank you for a clear example of what hinders, prevents, robs us of abundant life in Christ Jesus that we are prone to live by impulse not by values because in our hearts sin has distorted what is valuable and we're thankful for the Lord Jesus that we have a better, gloriously better older brother, the firstborn from the dead, and that he raises us up with him. And my prayer for my life and my church in 2021 is that we live the abundant life you have provided for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.